Good morning, Grace Chapel. This morning, I want to talk to you about how posture matters. See, posture matters. And I'm not talking about how we sit or how we stand. I'm talking about, as you'll see, how we are before our Lord. One of the new things I recently started doing in 2020 is mountain biking. It's, it's probably some sort of midlife crisis. I don't know for sure. It depends on who you ask my family. But what you realize when you mountain bike, your, your posture on the bike matters significantly. I'll explain why in a little bit. Now, the boys and I recently went to Wissahickon Valley Park. The Wiss is considered to have some of the best mountain biking trails in the Philadelphia region. And if I'm honest, those trails are a little bit above my current pay grade, but you got to learn somehow. So we're coming down to this one rocky hill, downhill section, and the segment of the trail is actually called Butterball's Broken Face. I have no idea who Butterball is, but I came to find out shortly how and why it's called Broken Face. See, early in the run, I hit this one route which killed the entire momentum of going downhill, and in order to compensate, I got shifted poorly on the bike. So my posture on the bike was poor. I was still headed down, but with a poor posture. And see, when you're going downhill on a bike, especially very steep and rugged terrain, you want to lean back so actually your rear end is slightly over the back wheel. And if you don't do that, you're going to do what I did. So I'm headed down there, and that first mishap threw me off when I hit the route. I was gaining, still gaining speed, and I was leaning back, but I was not leaning back far enough. See, I lacked the necessary speed to go smoothly, and I lacked the correct body posture. My body, I, I was, I'm heading down, I, missed, I hit that route, I get stuck a little bit, I get back going, I start gaining a little momentum, and then all of a sudden I hit another rock. My front tire comes, slams into the rock, and because I was not positioned correctly on the bike, the rear tire basically came up towards my head and threw me what's called OTB, or over the bars. Now, since this is all on YouTube, I actually recorded this crash. So since this is on YouTube, what I'm going to do is actually... There'll be a link in the description of this video, and I want you to take a second to go ahead and watch this crash, because the, the, it's important because it'll show you that if you don't have the right posture, it will lead to disaster. So go ahead and pause the sermon at this moment. Watch the clip, but don't forget to come back. Don't fall back into that YouTube hole where you go down and watch 50 other videos, okay? Pause the sermon, watch the quick, it's a, about a minute video, and then come back. All right, you're back. So here's the point in showing you that video. Posture matters. I failed to have the right posture on my bike, and the result led to disaster. Even more than having the right posture on a bike, even more than having the right posture for sending Butterball's broken face, we need to have the right posture before God. Brothers and sisters in Christ, our posture matters. Today's sermon is all about our posture before God. It's actually all about repentance. Repentance is how we posture ourselves before the living God. Do we posture ourselves away from Him? Or do we posture ourselves coming toward Him? It is about our posture. And repentance, our posture towards God, is foundational to our comfort and hope. 
So this is the second introductory sermon to Isaiah 40 to 66. Last week we looked at 2 Corinthians 1 verses 3 to 11. We saw that there is a purpose in our suffering. That suffering creates a purposeful hope, an unshakable hope, and a dependent hope. This morning I want us to see that true biblical repentance is foundational to receiving God's comfort and hope. Repentance, all about our posture before the living God. Are we humbling ourselves before the Lord or are we hardening our hearts toward Him? See, repentance is all about towards the direction we are facing. Are we turning from Him, towards Him? Are we turning away from Him? Rebellion is turning away. Repentance is turning toward. Pastor Jack Miller, who wrote a book called Repentance, A Daring Call to Surrender, says this, To be near to God and to have God near to us is the whole purpose of human life. But without sincere repentance, there can be no face-to-face fellowship with the Father of lights. So what he is saying, in other words, if there is no fellowship, there is no hope, there is no comfort. If we do not build within our life regular rhythms of repentance and faith, then we will not be able to enter into the promised and hopeful and comforting rest of Christ. But here's the good news. Miller continues. He says this, Having satisfied the demands of his own holy law, The Father must open His mighty arms and embrace every returning child. This, brothers and sisters, is the good news. God has made a way. We, in our sin and our rebellion, have squandered our relationship with God, but the Father so loved the world. He sent His only Son, and the Son satisfied the demands of God's holy law. Jesus paid the price. The spotless Lamb of God had the wrath of God poured out upon him and God's justice was satisfied by that spotless Lamb of God who received the punishment for our sins. Now, and this is the good news, now because of what Christ has done, the Father on the account of Christ must open his mighty arms and embrace every returning child. That, brothers and sisters, is the good news of the gospel. Repentance is our continual response to God's love, submitting to Him as our Lord and Savior. Our repentance, as we'll see, is total surrender. So repentance is not just about returning to the Lord. It is also about the Lord Almighty returning towards us. And opening his mighty arms up to embrace us. When the Lord turns to us, we receive his comfort. We receive his hope. So this morning, I want us to see two major themes in Isaiah 1, verses 1 to 20. First, in verses 1 to 15, we'll see how Israel turned away from the Lord. And now this is open, willful, intentional rebellion. But there is also hope. The second part of this these verses is that the Lord through Isaiah calls Israel back return to me says the Lord the Lord calls Israel to turn back to him in verses 16 to 20 so the main point I want us to grasp this morning is this our repentance is foundational to our comfort and hope 
our repentance, our turning towards the Lord, not away, but towards the Lord Almighty, is foundational for comfort and hope. True biblical repentance, a turning to the Lord, is what we are after. So let me ask this question once again. What is your posture before the Lord? Let's look at the first point of turning away from the Lord in verses 1 to 15. There's three things here. As we see the necessity of repentance assumes that we have turned away from the Lord. We need to repent because we have turned. And let's be honest, this is the sad story throughout Scripture. This is the sad story throughout our own lives, a continual turning. We are wayward people, hard-hearted, stiff-necked people who constantly turn away from the God, the Father of all. We turn away from the life-giving, sustaining, loving God who made us for himself, and we do it continually, often with little thought or little care. So in verses 1 through 15 of Isaiah chapter 1, the people of Israel turn away from the Lord. So I want to break these 15 verses up into three subpoints. The first one in verses 1 to 4 is that they blatantly and openly rebel. There is blatant and open rebellion in verses 1 through 4. The second is that there are consequences to rebellion. Whenever we rebel, there are consequences. And we'll see those in verses 5 through 9. And the last sub-point is this, in verses 10 to 15. The Lord calls out their false repentance and hypocritical lifestyle. He says, this is no way to live before the Lord of hosts. So let's take a look at the first sub-point. The people of God openly rebel against their Lord. Look at verses 2 through 4. Hear, O heavens, and give ear, O earth, for the Lord has spoken. Children I have reared and brought up, but they have rebelled against me. The ox knows its owner, and the donkey its master's crib, but Israel does not know. My people do not understand. Ah, sinful nation, a people laden with iniquity, offspring of evildoers, children who deal corruptly, they have forsaken the Lord. They have despised the Holy One of Israel. They are utterly estranged. So I already said this is the theme of God's people. Rebellion. From that very moment when Eve in the garden heard those words, did God really say? From that very moment, our hearts have been turning continually away from our blessed Creator. That one little phrase from the serpent cast doubt and sin into the hearts of Adam and Eve. And that doubt bred rebellion and sinfulness and hearts that drifted time and time again far from the Lord. All of humanity at that moment died in trespasses and sins, became captive to Satan and the wicked ways of this world. So why do we need to repent? We need to repent because we continually turn away. Always, we are just like Israel. Look at the language here. God has raised us up, called us children, but we continue on in our rebellion. Even oxen know their masters. Donkeys know where their home is to rest. But Israel, God's people, do not know, nor do they understand. They are a sinful nation. That has forsaken the Lord. They have despised the Holy One of Israel. And their turning is not just a, oh, I forgot. It is deliberate and intentional. 
They didn't first forget the Lord. They forsook the Lord. They despised him like Romans 1 mentions and reminds us. Although we knew God, we did not honor God nor give thanks to him. Instead, we became futile and foolish in our thinking. Our foolish hearts became darkened. And just like Israel, we exchanged the glory of the immortal God for lesser things. This leads us to the second Subpoints. Rebellion has consequences. Look with me, verses 5 through 9. Why will you be struck down? Why will you continue to rebel? The whole head is sick and the whole heart faint. From the sole of the foot even to the head, there is no soundness in it, but bruises and sores and raw wounds. They are not pressed up or bound up or softened with oil. Your country lies desolate. Your cities are burned with fire. In your very presence, foreigners devour your land. It is desolate as overthrown by foreigners. And the daughter of Zion is left like a booth in a vineyard, like a lodge in a cucumber field, like a besieged city. If the Lord of hosts had not left us a few survivors, we should have been like Sodom and become like Gomorrah. The wages of sin is death. Turning away from the Lord brings with it disaster and forsaking the Lord and despising the Holy One of Israel. The children of the Lord have become utterly estranged. They were once children of the King of Kings and Lord of Lords who lovingly cared for them. But like Esau, they forfeited their birthright. They have chased after other gods, other lesser things, and they have given up their rights to be called children of God. This is the consequence of a lifestyle of continual rebellion. This is the consequence of a lifestyle of sin. This is a consequence of failing to live as if Jesus is not, is only your Savior, not just your Lord. He is both. There are always consequences from turning away from the Lord. Always. They may come immediately, they may come later, or they may not come until Jesus returns. But trust me, they will come. Listen to the language again that Isaiah uses. It says, The whole head is sick, the whole heart is faint. There is no soundness in our bodies. They are full of bruises and sores and raw wounds. The country lies desolate, burned with fire. Foreigners devour the land. It is overthrown. The city is besieged. The Lord has left only a few survivors. Israel has become like Sodom and Gomorrah, completely and utterly laid to waste. Do you see, brothers and sisters, that turning away from the Lord has severe and disastrous consequences? But it's bad enough that they've turned away from the Lord. They also act like they still worship, act like they still love, act like they still care, even though their hearts are far from the Lord. The last subpoint here under the first heading false repentance reveals hearts far from the Lord. Hear the words of the Lord again in verses 10 to 15. Even begins, hear the word of the Lord. You rulers of Sodom, give ear to the teachings of our God, you people of Gomorrah. What to me is the multitude of your sacrifices, says the Lord. I have had enough of burnt offerings of rams and the fat of well-fed bees. I do not delight in the blood of bulls or of lambs or of goats. 
when you come to appear before me? Who has required of you this trampling of my courts? Bring no more vain offering. Incense is an abomination to me. New moon and Sabbath and the calling of convocations. I cannot endure iniquity and solemn assembly. Your new moons and your appointed feasts my soul hates. They have become a burden to me. I am weary of bearing them. When you spread out your hands, I will hide my eyes from you. Even though you make many prayers, I will not listen. Your hands are full of blood. Repentance says, My heart is turned towards you, O Lord. But false repentance does all the right outward things, but the heart posture remains turned away from the Lord, far from seeking His presence. See, false repentance is the repentance of a hypocrite. False repentance gives the appearance of turning towards God, but it's only an outward turn. There is no inward heart turn. The heart remains far. Now here's the interesting thing. False repentance is often the norm for countless church people. Now I've described it before. Some Sunday morning people, they get their church on. It's church is just what they do. They dress up in Sunday best. They come to church smiling. They clap. They sing the praise songs. They take notes during the sermon. They greet others with a smile. But their hearts are far from the Lord. Listen to the language the Lord uses in verses 10 to 15. This is for us church folk who do the outward works, but our hearts are far from the Lord. When you appear before me to worship, you trample my courts. Stop bringing your vain, empty, and meaningless offerings. Your worship is an abomination to me. Your prayers are no better. I can't stand your worship services. I can't stand your singing. I can't stand your music. They are a weighty burden to me. When you spread out your hands to pray, I will hide my face from you. Pray all you want, the Lord says. I will not listen. Your hands are raised up to me, but they are covered in murderous blood. Jesus himself says something similar, you brood of vipers. You hypocrites. You worship me with your lips, but your hearts are far from me. Some 700 years later, Jesus himself says this in Matthew 7, 21-23. And I remember the first time I heard this and just being struck by what Jesus says. He says this, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to him, Jesus says, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. I never knew you. 
Those are the words of Jesus, the King of kings and Lord of lords, our sovereign created God who tells those words to those who lead lives of false repentance. Those who come to church but only come. Those who worship but don't really worship. Those who smile and clap and sing but don't truly do so with their hearts. No doubt there are some here, maybe even this morning, who have lived this outward life who have done church, but their hearts are far from the Lord. What will Jesus say to you on that day? Will his words be, I never knew you, depart from me, you workers of lawlessness? Those are not the words we want to hear at those end of days. So let me ask you again, what, Grace Chapel, is your posture before the Lord this morning? Here are the words we want to hear. Jesus in Matthew 25, 23 says, Well done, good and faithful servants. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. We only hear those words by living a lifestyle of continual repentance, a continual turning back to the Lord. So our second point is this. We must not turn away, but turn towards the Lord. So how do we hear those words of comfort and those words of hope, those words where Jesus declares, I am your God and you are my child? How do we hear those words? We repent We turn. We exchange the lies of this world for the truth of God. We honor God as both Savior and Lord. We hear the call to repent and we come running to Christ. Nothing in our hands we bring. Simply to the cross we cling. So Isaiah, in the remaining verses, 16 to 20, offers two specific ways that we move forward as we turn to the Lord. First, We must heed the call to repentance. Listen to verses 16 to 17. Isaiah calls God's people. He calls us, wash yourselves. Make yourselves clean. Remove the evil of your deeds from before my eyes. Cease to do evil. Learn to do good. Seek justice. Correct oppression. Bring justice to the fatherless. Plead the widow's cause. See, repentance begins with our turning away from our sin and rebellion and turning towards God. But it doesn't end there. Repentance is a call to obedience. It is a turning away from sin, a turning toward God. It's a shift in our posture. It's a call to wash ourselves, to live clean and pure lives. It's a call to remove the evil deeds from before our eyes, to cease to do evil. It's a turn from evil towards good. It's learning to do good, seeking justice, correcting oppression, bring justice to the least of them. Repentance bears good and godly fruit. Now this isn't a call for us to save ourselves because that is founded upon what Jesus Christ has done. But it's a call in response to Jesus' salvation to live holy lives. So we must give heed to this call. We must seek to live lives marked by continual repentance to confess our sins and find anew every day that God is faithful and just to forgive our sins, 
to believe and live in the comfort and hope of Jesus Christ, our advocate. The second point on how we turn towards the Lord is that we must come to Christ. In verses 18 to 20, I believe Jesus, through the prophet Isaiah, calls us to himself. Verse 18, Come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall become like wool. If you are willing and obedient, you shall eat the good of the land. But if you refuse and rebel, you shall be eaten by the sword. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. In verse 27 of Isaiah chapter 1, it says this, Zion, the city of God, inhabited by the people of God, says, shall be redeemed by justice, and those in her who repent by righteousness. And this is what's remarkable. It is not a righteousness of their own. It is the righteousness of the spotless Lamb of God that shed his blood on the cross for our sins. God's justice carried out upon his beloved son on the cross. The righteousness of Jesus Christ. Because Israel was not righteous. We are not righteous. But the perfect righteousness of the spotless lamb of God becomes the perfect sacrifice. The perfect lamb of God that takes away our sins. Though they are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though dark red like crimson, they shall become pure white as wool. If you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, you shall be saved. If you come to Christ, repent and believe in Him. What is repentance? I like what Jack Miller says going back to his book on repentance. He says it is a total surrender to a sovereign Lord. Repentance is a total surrender to the sovereign Lord. It's turning away from sin, turning to the Lord, and giving yourselves completely holy utterly to the Lord. It's not just a turning away from sin, a turning to the Lord and to his ways, complete and total surrender. And a repentant lifestyle is marked by obedience and godly fruit. It's a daily recognition and confession of Jesus. Jesus, you are the vine. We are the branches. We are seeking to abide in you. And Jesus himself says, As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. Jesus calls us continually to abide in him, to turn towards him. And he says, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. So brothers and sisters, true repentance leads to faithful obedience. Jack Miller continues to describe repentance. He says this, I love how he says it, repentance actually breaks us down. He writes that repentant believers are powerfully transformed people. They are weak in themselves. They are full of Christ. And he continues by saying repentance is our coming undone in respect to all human righteousness followed by going outside ourselves to faith in Christ alone for salvation. Repentance declares that nothing in our hands we bring. 
All of our good works are filthy rags. We are broken and weak people, but we turn to you, O Jesus. We turn to you, O Lord, and we become full of Christ. We go to you alone, God. Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. So what does humility look like lived out? Humility. Sorry, what does repentance look like lived out? It looks like humility. Humility is brokenness, weakness, a complete and total surrender to the sovereign Lord. Listen to James chapter 4, verses 6 through 10. God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil. He will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will exalt you. Sounds a lot like Isaiah chapter 1, doesn't it? Humble yourselves before the Lord. That is repentance. Submit yourselves to God. That is repentance. Resist the devil. Draw near to God. Those are marks of repentance. And what does James say? He will draw near to you. Comfort comes. Hope arrives. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched. Mourn. Weep. Humble yourselves before the Lord. Surrender yourselves to the Sovereign. Lord, repent and believe. And as you repent and believe, receive the comfort of the Lord. Receive the eternal hope of the Lord. Brothers and sisters, at this time we all long for comfort. And we long for hope. How do we receive it? What is your posture before the Lord Almighty? Is your heart surrendered towards Him as the total sovereign Lord in humility and humbleness and brokenness? Or are you still living a life of rebellion? Maybe you are doing all the things you can outwardly to look like you are a believer in Christ, but your heart is still far from the Lord. Jesus calls you. God's Word calls you. Come, let us reason together. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. And in being saved, submitting completely, totally to the Lord Jesus Christ, you will receive His words of comfort and hope. Well done, good and faithful servants. May this be our prayer today. Our Father, we have not known You as we ought, nor have we feared You as we should, O Lord. We have not loved You as we ought. Nor have we cared much that we are loved by you. Our hearts are cold towards you and we have not served you as we should. But Lord, give us the light of your truth to see. Give us the faith to know that you are near. Give us a longing to see your face. Give us the zeal and give us the might to toil and to fight. Give us the strength to prepare for that day when we see you face to face. O Lord, our God, may we abide in the Lord Jesus. May we regularly confess our sins. May turning towards you become a regular habit of our lives. And may, as we turn towards you, may we receive your life-giving comfort 
and your eternal hope. May your posture towards you be forever seeking the pleasure of your face. And it's in Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen.